if Oldsmobile Cutlasses aren't the best looking race car of all time, they're really not. I, oh, buy it. Mate, it's not even really close. I don't even know what would be a close second, to be honest. I just got tagged in a post by Tony Gillig, who's got that spectacular red and white uh, Olds Cutlass that he races in PDRA Pro 632. Yeah, his If cool. it's not the best looking car on the planet Earth, it's damn close. Sorry. Oh, please. It is. I just hope oh, that's here. I'm talking to myself in the background here. No. I just wanted to share our post, man. I wanted to spread the gospel that is drag racing to all my friends out here. All six of them. <laughs> all right. Why well, won't this share, bro? Facebook makes everything hard these days. There we go. Share. Right post. You know, it's weird. It's so complicated. You got to find the button that says share to share it, right? It's very odd. Yeah, you know, the one that's like right there at the bottom of the screen has There's a little arrow on it. Today's not the, today's not the day. Today's <laughs> so hard. Sure. Hey, gang, Westbuck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. 2021. Who'd have thought? I didn't, jeezy peasy. I didn't know if we were going to make it out of the 2020s, to be honest with you guys. But here we are. I'm excited, fired up. It is another Wednesday. We've got a fantastic show lined up for you today. Murder Tundra on the ones and twos, serving as producer. I want to give a shout out to my guys, Nate Van Wagen, the editor in chief at Drag Illustrated Magazine, and our senior editor, Josh Hatchett, who basically worked all morning telling me what I was going to talk about on the show. So thank you guys so much. Excited to uh, be back two weeks in a row. That's right. Please, if you guys don't mind, click like, click share, spread the message. I've, I've talked about this ad nausea, but I do think it's very important that we keep the drag racing conversation going. That's our mission at Drag Illustrated is to keep people talking about the sport of drag racing and not let that energy and enthusiasm and excitement end on Sunday night after the winter circle pictures or Saturday night after the winter circle photos and the the shoots have been packed up and the cars go back in trailers. It seems oftentimes our sport, we fizzle out on Sunday nights. We fizzle out on Saturday nights. So I want to make sure myself and the whole team here at Drag Illustrated that we keep the drag racing conversation going through the week. Again, we've got a, a bunch of fun stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit about John Force, uh, talk a little bit about Pro Stock, Pro Mod, talk about some sportsman racing, some sportsman racers that are moving up in the ranks. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff, man. So uh, I guess let's get started. You want to do a little bit of catching up here before we get going, uh, Murder Tundra? What's your weekend consist of? Throw yourself up on the screen there so everybody can see your beautiful face. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, What's we lost going the football on, game. Lost the I know. Game. I think we're going to have to at least give let's, – let's give five minutes to the Super Bowl, man. Uh, I guess everybody knows it's very well known that you're a huge sports fan. I admittedly am not that big of a stick and ball sports fan. Wait, wait, wait. Let me take that back. I'm a big stick and ball sports fan. I just haven't been for very long. You, on the other hand, have been a stick and ball sports fan for as long as I can remember, maybe as long as you've been alive. What's your takeaway on the Super Bowl, man? I'm sorry the Chiefs didn't get it done for us. Yeah, I mean, they made it, though, you know, and uh, they're great, and they're going to be great for a long time, I think, but, you know, just a bad game. They had they had one offensive line uh, starter. Uh, that was it on the whole line, you know, the, so you knew it was going to be kind of painful to watch that, but, man, he ran around for 497 yards behind the line of scrimmage. You know, so it's crazy. It's like us walking around the pits at Valdosta trying to do selfie interviews. Oh, I know. Yards daily. Unbelievable. I, Man, I, I want tell it. you, 
This is when I have to listen to about Tom Brady for a, a whole year, you know? Yeah, Did really. you see that he, like, rolled up to the championship parade today on his, like, mega yacht with a oh, police escort? Imagine that, yeah. Yeah, imagine I, that. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. So, other than I, that. I got to uh, tell you, man, I think the whole – for me, what I love about the Super Bowl, and I know it's so funny because I – and I don't want to go off on a whole tangent about people's behavior on social media, but – I saw all the posts of people bagging on, like, oh, who cares about the Super Bowl or whatever? Who cares, you know? And then all the negative stuff about the halftime show or whatever. And for me, I think it's – I just look at events like this and they just kind of fill me up. You know, like, it's just – I think it's fantastic that people come together and rally around something and no one's out there. You know what I mean? There's There wasn't – I mean, there was a streaker, but we didn't have any sort of huge controversies or big negative things or whatever. I just think that those right. events – I mean, for me as an event promoter myself and someone who hopes to do more events and grow the events that I'm involved with currently, I look at events like the Super Bowl and I just can't help but be like starstruck and in awe of the, the production and the presentation. Yeah. And I think about, like I see all these posts on social media about how bad the halftime show was. Can you imagine, like I don't care what you think about it. Do, do you have any idea how difficult that would be to execute in that time oh, yeah. frame with that many people mm -hmm. with that many moving parts? I mean... I, I see a lot of drag races struggle to get the, the national anthem played, right? The yeah, tape deck right. doesn't work in the tower um, or, or whatever the case may be. And I just see that level of execution and it's like, bravo. That's all I can really say about it is bravo. You know, it's impressive. Usually usually for the Super Bowl, we're at a party, you know, somewhere. And, uh, well, usually we're at local tavern or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But Shocking. I mean, like, I can't tell you like, where I've actually sat down and watched the halftime ever, to be honest with you. You know, by the time when halftime gets there, you're placing new bets and, you know, running around and, you know, jawing with everybody. I, I guess I just never have paid that much attention to it, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, for me, I sat down and watched the whole game. We, we kind of did the Super Bowl low-key this year. We sat around and watched it, and it was like, again, I just can't help but be in awe of the spectacle, even the pregame shows and the postgame shows and the way they do. I mean, we've got a little bit of experience with putting on, doing a show or whatever. And yeah. I look at the sets and the signage and all the graphics, like someone's doing that stuff. There are people yeah. in the background that are creating the bottom third graphic or the little, you know, the, the animated thing of Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, like the amount of work and effort that goes into that stuff. I can't do anything more than applaud them and aspire to get there someday with my own events. Obviously nothing, the scale or size of the Super Bowl. I don't know that anything will really rival that. Uh, but I just, I can't help but see that stuff and be inspired, man. Yep. And that's yep. a great segue. Let's dive into our very first topic. Okay. I know the first thing we're going to talk about here today uh, good signs for 2021, right? We've got big time races piling up left and right. It seems like every time I turn around, there's another, another big event, another million dollar bracket race, another, you know, event popping up on the schedule, a new program from the PDRA or what have you. And it's just an exciting time. I got to be honest, you go back a couple of weeks ago to the recently completed U S street nationals in Bradenton. And if you use that event, the energy, enthusiasm, uh, and just kind of buzz surrounding that event as a barometer or something to forecast the rest of 2021, I have to say things look good. I mean, but on the other complete polar opposite end of the spectrum, I went to a local private test and tune, a little track rental Saturday at the Motorplex, the Texas Motorplex. Huge shout out to TJ, uh, Bailey, T&E Promotions. They put together a really, really cool uh 
kind of a limited participation test and tune day, private track rental day. And even there, they were planning on having like 15 cars. You know, they'd had some people reach out or whatever. They were going to have a small showing of cars. And they had like almost 40 there on a frigid Saturday morning in North Texas. And the mood there, I mean, I'm using this. I want to, I want to talk about it because I think it's very representative of what's likely going on all over our industry. I show up at the Motorplex on Saturday morning. Again, it's like sub, not sub zero. It was like 40, right? Drove my Corvette out there. I was going to make some shakedown passes in it. Um, I get there and there was a ton of cars already there and I'm looking around and I see all these demon uh, challengers and Hellcat chargers and a bunch of uh, Coyote Mustangs and a slew of turbocharged Cadillac CTSVs. Uh, Kyle Hutel was there with the Bad Niner Pro 275 Camaro. Uh, there was a bunch of cars there and it just the mood amongst the group was so positive. I think everybody got a taste of not being able to do anything, not being able to just go to the racetrack when they felt like going, go make test hits when they felt like making test hits. People were robbed of that by and large in 2020. So I think if events like that, small get togethers and big events such as the US Street Nationals and Brainton, if those events are any indication, I think 2021 is gonna be a barn burner. There's every reason for us to believe there's gonna be some hurdles and there's gonna be some trials and tribulations and I don't want really anyone to expect it to be entirely rosy. I'm sure there will be some attrition and there will be some, I have to believe there will be some level of fallout from COVID and the different struggles that businesses and people in general have had. But I'm telling you, Murder Tundra, when I look around here, I think this is gonna be a fantastic season for the sport of drag racing. This, this pent up enthusiasm, this pent up energy. In years past, there's been like more events than there were racers maybe. And that's maybe not entirely accurate, but I think you understand what I'm saying. It felt like there wasn't enough to go around. Headed in 2021, I think any event that is moderately well promoted, moderately organized, moderately known about is going to be successful. And I think that's, it, it's really fantastic, man. The open air atmosphere, uh, it, I think will also behoove us here in this uh, new, brave new world we're living in where people aren't, the things that I think are going to struggle are small indoor venues, right? Where still people are a little timid. I don't know that we're going to see people diving into buffet lines, maybe Murder Tundra, but I don't know that everybody is going to be diving into buffet lines or being super <laughs> excited about being in close proximity to one another. So all of us in the business of drag racing that host these huge outdoor events, I, I'm hoping that we're well positioned for a little bit of success. Uh, God knows our sport needs it right now. And it's exciting, man. I mean, I, I, I really think Donald Long's fast approaching Lights Out will be Lights Out 12. Hard to believe this is an event that's been going on for 12 years, over a decade. But that will serve as another landmark, I think, happening in 2021 that'll kind of set the tone. These events early in the season are tone setters, by and large. The U.S. Street Nationals, Lights Out, there are others, don't get me wrong. The, the PDRA season opener, I think, is always a great telltale sign of what what they could expect throughout the season the same with the nmca and the nmra and i think our event the c-tech world door slammer nationals presented by jegs coming up march 5th 6th and 7th in orlando florida will also serve as kind of a jump off point for the 2021 season and i by and large man i think we're going to be in, in in good shape racers seem motivated um 
fired up, looking for places to go. I think we're going to see a lot of movement and growth in the sportsman ranks. Obviously, the big money bracket race scene probably has as much or more uh, enthusiasm and energy than, than any that exists in our sport right now. So, hey, by and large, man, it feels like a good time to be alive. I agree, man. It's, it's interesting because I look also at, and this is something to go back a couple of weeks ago, and for those, for uh, our viewers that are industry insiders or industry members, I continue to see tremendous, one of the questions that I'm asked most frequently, and this is kind of goes to the amount of events in 2021, but one of the conversations that I constantly find myself in are people looking to drag Illustrated to, to kind of tell them what's hot, what's not, what's lukewarm, what's growing, what's shrinking, uh, where the pain points exist in our industry are. And despite, like, like if we just table the COVID things, like whatever travel regulations and border issues exist, I really look at the street strip enthusiast seen to be one of the strongest in, in our entire sport. Like it's, I'm actually constantly surprised at how many late model Corvettes, late model Camaros, these late model Mustangs that can be very fast with minimal modifications. Uh, the, the street strip scene right now, there's more action and movement there than I think anything else. I, I mean, again, bracket racing, I, I feel like the big money bracket scene's doing well. Um, door slammer racing is, is, is hanging in there, hanging, hanging, hanging steady. But when you look at something that's growing and people seem to be coming out of the woodwork, it's with street strip cars. It really is. It, like the streetcar takeover events, um, the aforementioned TJ Bailey uh, and Eric uh, T&E promotions, they've got a big streetcar shootout coming up in March. I, th I think these street do you think JT it's, or excuse me, murder tundra, I'm going to get in trouble for calling you by the wrong name, but, and, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I can't help but feel some of that is that people can serve multiple purposes with a singular investment. Like the I think that's absolutely it. seems to be moving the needle because you can go race, run nines, maybe run eights, maybe in some instances run sevens in the quarter mile and then drive the car home, take it to Sonic. It might have a back seat. Your kids can ride in right. it. Don't you show think off, show, show off your happening? neighbors. Yeah, show off to your neighbors driving up and down the block. I mean, seriously, like I think that's that's part of it, you know. And maybe that does in the future get them into something more serious. But for right now, you know, hey man, as long as like you say all the time, you know, as long as we see people doing burnouts, right? You know, we just got to get people back into hot rods for sure. And I think that eventually, you know, maybe that translates over to more drag racing as well. I think so, and it's like no one, and this is lost on people by and large, and I think that this is something that, I had a guy tell me one time, a dude that I respect a lot in the racing industry, he said, racers are bad about eating their young, like racers eat their young, and it's, it's kind of true, like if you go peruse the pits of any given big time drag race and talk to some, you know, radio, hardcore radio guys or hardcore door car, pro mod, pro stock, mountain motor guys or, or whatever, it's just interesting how the tunnel vision that they have, and they just don't even have any passing interest in any other type of racing outside of what they do. And I think sometimes we fail to realize that people can't start at X275. People can't start at radio versus the world. There are those that can, but they're the exception to the rule. No one walks, I mean, it's like you don't go to the gym once and end up on the Mr. Olympia bodybuilding world championship stage. 
And that's how I've often looked at the streetcar takeover events and uh, the various, all the different things, Cletus and cars, um, all these different events that go on from coast to coast, the Holly LS Fest, um, LS Fest West, um, Mo Party, all these, these events and th that have that kind of become something of a festival of sorts. People sleep on the importance of that for the hardcore racing industry because they're not going to start out in a Rick Jones built 2020 Camaro, right? They're probably going to start out in like a 5.0 Mustang that they right. financed, right? That they that they, you know, borrowed money from the bank or financed from the dealership to to, to own. So I think we have to be a little bit more open-minded as a community and welcome those people in and not look down on them and not look down on a streetcar event or not look down on a car that's got, you know, stock wheels and tires on it at the racetrack, right? Oh, they're going to rip up the racetrack or whatever. Sure, there's a time and place for them, but my point is I think we should be a little bit more encouraging and a little bit more welcoming to, to that group of people because it's my sincere hope that I'll use some big time examples like Cletus McFarland, Garrett Mitchell. Um, the I'm kind of beating on this, but uh, uh, the the guys that are at the top of streetcar takeover, Chase and, Chase and Justin, Justin Keith, Chase Lautenbach, and the variety of people that run in those circles. Right? It is my sincere hope that they start out with a Fox Body Mustang, or they start out with a late model Camaro or Corvette, but they end up in a top dragster. They end up in a top sportsman car. Maybe they their business booms and they end up pro stock racing or pro mod racing. We've got to be better to these people that are early in their racing careers and a little bit more inclusive uh, to, to foster those things, right? Does that make sense? Because I feel yes. like a lot of times we turn, we turn our nose up at the streetcar guys. We turn our nose up at the junior dragster guys. We don't got time for that, right? And it's like, no, those, those are precisely the people we need to have time for so we can get them to come back. We can get them to tell their friends. We can get someone else to buy a car. We can get someone else to buy a blower or a nitrous system or what have you. Those, those people are so important to our industry, but unfortunately, by and large, they're, they are excluded from a lot of these events. And that's something that I think we have to, uh, we really have to spend some time thinking about how we can do a better job of including those people uh, that, that maybe don't have the, the highest end of car, they're still car guys. They're still racers, right? Their money spends the same. Their, their knuckles bleed just like... Maybe they're taxes. just getting started. Maybe they're just getting started and they just drop the, the little bit of money they had to, you know, extra money to spend, you know, in the motorsports industry, you know, so we got to embrace that and hopefully they have more to spend in the future. That's got to be the goal, right? That absolutely has to be the goal. How can we foster those... Uh, those early experiences because I know a lot of people I mean you think about the people that see and this maybe this is a challenge I've been issuing a lot of challenges to people in 2021 my own staff my family my friends people that are close to me I've been challenging myself a lot I've been challenging people uh, near and dear to me to challenge me and I think that I'd like to issue a challenge kind of to the entire racing community to make sure you fist bump that guy in the staging lanes that got that's got a car with dealer tags on it at the track that's our kind of guy. Don't think it's not. Just because it doesn't have a, a, a Lenco in it or 3417s, don't think that that's not our kind of guy. Anybody that's going and buying a car off a dealership and taking it to the racetrack while it's still got temp tags on it, that's our kind of guy, right? We need to be embracing those people, encouraging them, offering them a helmet, offering them a battery charger. Maybe they don't know about lowering the air pressure in their tires. Maybe they don't have an air pig to fill them back up after they've 
they've let the air out, whatever the case may be. I challenge all of you that spend your weekends at the racetrack to, to find some of those guys and gals and make them feel included, make them feel welcome. If you work at a racetrack, this is a thing that I encounter all the time. If you're a tech guy by chance at a racetrack, remember some of these guys don't know what the hell they're doing. They've never done this before. They've never been to the track. They don't know they need long wheel studs, right? They don't know they need a yep. drive shaft loop. <clears throat> they don't know these things and you can't expect them to know them, right? So I'm not saying you've got to turn a blind eye or not enforce the rules, but a lot of times it's not the news, it's the delivery, right? And if you can be a little gentle with these people and let them know that they need a helmet, oh, you don't have a helmet? We know people that do have helmets. And I just think that a little bit in, of inclusion with those people that are early in their racing career, early in their the process that exists, uh, I challenge everybody. As, as we've, we've identified that there's a lot of big races going on in 2021, and that's fantastic. But we've got to make sure that we're fostering growth and we're including people. And uh, I, I honestly, this wasn't a topic that I had planned Murder Tundra, but I'll tell you what, you know what I did the other night? You're going to love this. What's that? I watched Street Outlaws. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and I think that I'm going to work this in to every Wednesday. And I can, I'll take all the heat from anybody that's a hardcore that wants to give me. I'm way I behind. Was, I'm way behind. I admit I'm that I've not, I, I'm not, I'm going to watch them all from here on out. Uh, and that's one of the challenges that I've given to myself that I need to be consuming this content. It's yeah. important. This is a fantastic thing for the sport of drag racing. And I don't care. I mean, we, you've got to table the fact that it's supposed to be street racing. You've got to table some of those things. If you look at the environment they're racing in, it's as controlled as they can make it, right? It's, it's, it's controlled as they can make it and still be relatively uh, adequately authentic, right? It's believable enough that it's a back road. It's believable enough that it's an industrial area. But if you look beyond that, and you see the cars and you see the people that are being turned into superstars that by and large, these are regular racers. These aren't guys that have, that have had 30 year relationships with Castro like John Force or 30 year relationships with Budweiser like Kenny Bernstein. These are guys that are just like you and I that are regular people, right? That are spending their hard earned money going drag racing. And I just, I watched it and I, I see there was a couple of takeaways I had, and I wanted to lump this into the good signs for 2021 because what Street Outlaws is doing and what the No Prep Kings uh, TV show represents um, is so good for the sport of drag racing because I think these people are leading the charge of making it fashionable to have a hot rod again. I remember, and I know I've told this story on the show before, but I graduated high school in 2002 and I remember being the odd man out. I was a weirdo. I may as well have had my hair greased back and a leather jacket on or something because I was so much an outsider not, not for much being changed. a car guy. Shut up, Bert. <laughs> I, if I, I really do, as a side note, want one of those biker style leather jackets in your travels, <laughs> if you see one that you think okay. fits the bill, it can't be like from Walmart. I mean, it needs to be like, I'm not saying it needs to be like Gucci, but it, it's gotta be nice. If you see one, get it for me. But anyways, my point is just that I was I was the outsider, right? The cool kids were on the football team. The cool kids 
were on the well not on the debate team that's a bit of a stretch but <laughs> yeah you, no. you, you catch me they were wearing letterman's jackets right they were yeah. on a in a team sport or whatever and me as a car guy and the rest of the people that were in auto mechanics or in auto body or or cared anything about that stuff we were kind of on the outsiders right we were we were we weren't part of the cool club and i think about what it would be like to be in high school right now with a tv show like street outlaws on I'd be the coolest son of a gun walking because I had a car like that. I raced on this. You know, I did that. And I just think about what they've done to make it fashionable, to make it part of pop culture, to make it to make it cool to be a car guy. And I think we all owe these people a debt of gratitude because I know and many people don't know what it's like to put yourself out there consistently and, and face some ridicule or face some backlash or maybe step on your you know what a couple times because you said something you shouldn't or what have you or something got blown out of proportion or taken out of context it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude a lot of courage to to go in front of those cameras and talk and you can tell that a lot of these guys are being put in uncomfortable positions they've never spoken on camera before this is new to them and i just i give them all a round of applause because I can't tell you what it's like to be sitting on the couch with my, my family. Uh, my son was in the room. Uh, my daughter, she wasn't really paying attention. Sophia was on her iPad, shocker, but um, not all the time. I just, at night, whenever I'm trying to chill, I let her play on her iPad, but whatever. I don't want some hate mail from somebody mad at me for letting my kids look at screens, whatever. My point <laughs> is just that we were all sitting there watching drag racing, man, at, on right. prime time, not at 2 a.m. because we DVR'd it, not on Sunday morning at 6 a.m. or whatever. Um, I'm not sitting there staring, waiting for a, a softball game to end so that drag racing coverage can begin. This is primetime network television, and I'm seeing guys backing up from burnouts. And I'm seeing, I, I just couldn't, it's fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. And obviously, I think it's some of it, we've seen some horrific stuff. Last year, late last year, um, we saw a ton of cars get piled up. Uh, never good, obviously. They're towing the line of how fast these cars are on these unprepped surfaces. And this is probably, this that, that type of carnage is gonna happen in these early, kind of early stages. Because admittedly, we're still in the infancy of like no prep racing, organized street racing, or whatever you wanna call this stuff. And I'm not here to glorify the illegal acts or anything like that, but my point above all else is when I talk about a good sign for 2021, I hope everyone in our industry recognizes that TV is a big time needle mover. It is, I don't care yep. what kind of social following you've got. I don't care how many people are on your Facebook page. I don't care what your Instagram looks like, what your YouTube's doing. Being on network television, primetime network television, is a game changer. And I think it's been fantastic for the sport of drag racing. Has there, is there two sides to that, you know, two sides to that sword? Absolutely, leading edge and bleeding edge for sure. But I think for the most part, when I look at the things that are highlights of 2020 here, two months in and what I anticipate to be positives for the sport of drag racing throughout the rest of the year, man, I can't help but lump the street outlaws that show uh, I mean, I think we owe it to the community and owe it to the to the people involved in that show and the people that watch it to talk about it, to include it. I, I don't want the street outlaw contingent, the no prep contingent. They're not. They're no better or worse or whatever than 
top fuel racers, pro stock racers. It's different strokes for different folks. I understand not everybody loves it. Not everybody appreciates it. But I mean, you sit there. I was sitting there watching Larry Larson. This is a guy that I've known since I was three feet tall. I've known this guy for as long as I can remember. And there he is on television talking about how racing on the street or racing no prep or racing drag racing, it's all the same. It's racing the track. It's tuning the car. It's making changes to the car to make the best possible run on the surface that's available. And I just thought, man, I hope everybody just listened to that and really absorbed it because here's one of the most accomplished track racers that door slammer racing has to offer. This is a guy that's won drag week however many times, built all sorts of very successful, high-powered cars, had a tremendous amount of success himself. And here he is saying, it's like, hey, man, we're all the same. We're all, we're all drag racers. We all, we all bleed. We, we all sweat. We're, we're all spending money maybe we don't have or whatever to, to chase the drag racing dream. And I just want to encourage people to, to watch those shows. Make sure they get renewed. Make sure that the sponsors that support that stuff hear from you because it really is a good thing for the sport of drag racing. And I would challenge people throughout our community and our industry, NHRA, IHRA, um, myself, PDRA, NMCA, NMRA. NMCA and NMRA have probably done the best job of anybody of including people from those walks of the racing life into their events. But man, we need to get on board. It's, it's time to get on board with what these guys are doing. You don't have to love the style of racing, but how cool is it to turn on your television and see cars that like we could afford you, you know what i mean obviously there's I think, some real I exotic stuff there but man like I, I was watching and i'm gonna butcher some names uh, trisha i might it might be jj DeBoss's daughter i think she's in like a back half 66 or six or 67 chevy 2 uh, a nova with big tires on it i mean this is probably like a rectangular tubing back half car not exotic not elaborate probably has like a conventional headed big block chevy in it and a single plane aluminum intake manifold, cast aluminum intake manifold, and a bunch of nitrous. And they're out here racing on television. Not a twin turbo Hemi, right, with 102s on it, and, and a TH400 from Mark Mickey. I mean, these are, this is stuff that's not exotic. This is have doable things, doable in your garage things. And it's important that those people with, with cars like that are stars, because that's that's something that you and I can have. That's something that regular folks could go do. And I just—I well, think that's—I think it's where some of the boom so has important. came. I think that that's where some of the boom has came for the uh, high horsepower, street-driven cars. You know, is from that show. You know, I think that's—I think that show really uh, got some people back into it. You know, and got some people out in the garage and working on their junk that's been sitting around for you know years and years. And it, it, it serves that aspirational. That, that aspirational component that in a lot of ways doesn't exist in drag racing because I've talked about this before but it's a point worth repeating is that in many classes of drag racing and let's just use Top Fuel and Funny Car as like kind of the shining ultimate example that dream for most people is gone right I, the days of rebuilding a Hemi in a hotel room for your Top Fuel dragster are long since Past. Right. They're, they're right. way over. Uh, you know, to go low rent top fuel racing, you're spending a million bucks, right? And that's just so far beyond the realm of reality for, for so many people 
that the dream has has been has faded. The desire, the, that aspirational component that I'm talking about, where people watch it and go, "One day I'm going to be out there." I'm sure there are people that do that. There's a there's a percentage of people, but by and large, you don't even it's it's never going to happen. It's kind of like, um, you know, I know that I'm not going to play in the, the NFL. I know I'm not going to play in the Super Bowl, right? So, you know, but the cool thing about that, I can still go throw a football. I can still go play football. I can still go play flag football. My kids can play or whatever. So how do we create that aspirational thing in drag racing? And I think it's shining a light on stuff that's still, for the most part, relatively affordable and attainable for a normal person. I, I still look at, you know, I've, I've often felt that that was part of the, the, the driving force behind ProMod's success in recent years is that while obviously very expensive and not something that anybody can do, a successful small business owner likely can afford to do, to do that at some level. Can they do, afford to do it at the level of you know, uh, Stevie Jackson and, and go back to back winning world championships in NHRA ProMod? Probably not. But could they go to a race or two? Could they go show up at the local PDR when PDRA rolls into town or when NMCA rolls into town and dive into extreme pro mod? Yeah, I believe they could. You know, a couple of successful guys or a couple of guys that have small businesses could pool their resources and go do that. And I think that serves to, to push that part of our sport forward because the dream is still alive. And that's what street outlaws are doing so well is that I bet there are cars that haven't been had the car cover pulled off of them in a decade that someone watched that show Tuesday night or Monday night, it's all kind of running together for me, Monday night, watched Street Outlaws and like you said, thought, you know what, I'm gonna put plugs in the old girl and see if she starts. Or yep, yep. I'm gonna air those tires up. Or I'm gonna at least get it up on Projects so I can drop the pan or whatever. And I just think that that's, it's fantastic for the sport of drag racing. I've talked about it for 30 minutes, so let's move on to the next <laughs> yeah, thing. I'm gonna chug a protein shake here. All right. And again, Post I just want to thank town. everybody for tuning in. Uh, fantastic participation. Please, if you if you feel up to it, click like, click share. Uh, we, we appreciate you guys helping us spread the word and keeping the drag racing conversation going through the week. And remember, the new issue of Drag Illustrated Magazine is on newsstands now. You can pick it up um, at a variety of different aftermarket parts retailers, uh, but you can also log on to dragillustrated.com, read the entire magazine in its entirety for free. For you racers out there that want to see their name in lights, remember that Drag Illustrated's digital edition is entirely searchable. So feel free to type your name in and see where you've been mentioned. Maybe you didn't even know about it. I think it's a really cool feature. Uh, but if you want the, the full tilt boogie, you want the real experience, log on to dragillustrated.com and click that subscribe button. You can join our ever-growing family for just 25 bucks. Is that correct, JT? We have a, a promo code. Use the promo code WES. You'll get 12 issues of the magazine for $25. Uh, check out Johnny Puccino on the cover. I believe Johnny's uh, in the chats, in the comment, watching along with us today. Uh, fantastic article on the, the reigning pro uh, PDRA Extreme Pro Stock World Champion. Great young man, second generation, ra generation racer. Um, just the type of people that I'm about to talk about with this next topic. Uh, Pro Stock's young talent set to shine in 2021, and I think this is an interesting thing because when we talk about that, that dream, that that aspirational component that I think at times isn't as as front and center in our sport as it needs to be, I look at Pro Stock and I think it's really defying all odds. It wasn't that long ago that Pro Stock 
seemed to be on death's doorstep. I mean, the, every time I would get online, I'd hear someone, uh, a member of the media, somebody spouting off that the, the class was almost over, put a fork in them, they're done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was a, a shakeup with the schedule, where the NHRA reduced the schedule. For those that don't know, this is fairly common knowledge at this point. The NHRA reduced the pro stock competitor's schedule from 24 events to 18. And as forecasted and as predicted by almost everybody, in a participation, enthusiasm, interest, everything went through the roof on the heels of that announcement, the less, the fewer races. So headed into 2021, I've made some notes here, and I think this is pretty cool. We've got Dallas Glenn, longtime car chief, uh, crew member on the KB Racing, Greg Anderson and Jason Lyons, two cars out of Mooresville, North Carolina. This is a guy that's been in and around the sport of drag racing his whole life, done a bunch of sportsman racing, drove a top alcohol funny car, I believe, a handful, or, I don't know if he's driven a top alcohol funny car. He's driven a variety of different door cars. Anyways, getting to live his dream here in 2021 behind the wheel of a pro stock car. I know he's running a limited schedule, but still four or five events forecasted for the season. Huge congratulations to Dallas Glenn, first and foremost, his wife, Sadie, uh, great young folks. But it's interesting because I think a lot of people felt for as long as I can remember, pro stock has often been regarded as something of a, uh, a yacht club in drag racing. Older guys with, with designer shoes and cigars, um, dad hats, right? It just seemed like a, a group of people, it was an older demo, uh, wealthy, well-to-do folks that, that filled that, that class out by and large. I look at it here in 2021 and I think about the Quadra boys, Dallas Glenn, Kyle Koreski, Chris McGeha's son, uh, TJ Coughlin, Aaron Stanfield, uh, and, that's, and that's excluding like Erica Enders, Alex Laughlin, Derek Kramer, still young folks, people that are early in life, early in their careers. Erica, necessarily, not necessarily early in her career, but still young, fresh faces, people that are full of energy and ready to do their deal. And I just think it's interesting for a class that not that long ago was seen as something that was on its way out. I would argue right now that it's amongst the most stable classes in drag racing. I don't know what exactly all feeds that. I will say that the the efforts made by the different engine shops, Elite Performance, KB Racing, uh, and they're, they're not alone. There are a handful of others that have contributed to making power uh, more readily available for racers and not so expensive, obviously still expensive. But I would say, for the most part, the average engine rental program is probably half what it was, maybe less, um, a decade ago which is incredible to think about. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you could call up someone like Justin Humphreys. That's a, a, a name from the import world. Made a splash in pro stock, came out, had Bob Glidden involved with his program, nothing but the best, big tractor trailer. I, I remember doing an interview with him for the cover of the magazine. It had been in the late 2000s. They were spending like 80 or 90 grand a race. I think 80 grand a race just for power, just for engines, right? That's not mm -hmm. diesel fuel. That's not crew. That that's not hotels and airfare. That was like eighty grand per race for an engine for an engine program. So, I think that we have to give credit where credit's due to to the the different engine shops and and power brokers and pro stock that have made front running competitive power more readily available. Um, the redu the reduced schedule I think has absolutely uh, contributed to the sustainability of the class. But I, I think Erica Enders, I think Jed Coughlin, I think uh, Alex Laughlin, I think Greg Anderson, Jason, Lyon, there's some superstars there. 
And I think there are some young folks that have come up through the sport of drag racing, a lot of second generation racers. You'll notice that everybody that I mentioned in that list, for the most part, TJ Coughlin, the Quadra Boys, Dallas Glenn, Kyle Koretsky, um, these are all second generation racers. These are people who have been around the sport for a long time. And for those of us that are in our 30s and spent our, our youth racing with our dad, the pro stock was, is the dream, was the dream. Always was. They're notoriously difficult to drive cars, notoriously difficult to have success with these cars. Um, and I think people, it, it's kind of refreshing because it's a nice reminder that there are still people out there that love a challenge, love something that's going to be an uphill battle, love something that's going to be hard. They've got something to prove, a chip on their shoulder. And I look at Pro Stock and it's pretty exciting. I think Pro Stock delivered the best drag racing of 2020. The back and forth battle between uh, Jason Line, Greg Anderson, Erica Enders, Jed Coughlin, the, all the different dynamics that existed throughout the year, um, the, the way the championship came down to the final race of the season, the, the way 2019 ended, right, with a, with a world championship. You got Erica Enders trying to go back to back. Uh, there was all sorts of back and forth between her and the KB camp and Greg Anderson and, and efforts made to make sure that people are racing each other in qualifying. It, all of those storylines serve, in my opinion, to have made Pro Stock the, the story of 2020. And I just really feel Pro Stock you know where it started, carry right? that momentum into 2021. I would like to believe that it started at the World Door Slammer it Nationals, did. the SeaTech Manufacturing World Door Slammer Nationals, um, presented by Jex, coming up March 5th, 6th, and 7th at Orlando Speed World Dragway. And I would like to, you know, our whole group, I speak on behalf of myself, um, Ozzy and Maria Moya, Jeff Miles, Sydney Marshall, everybody at the racetrack down there, of course, Richard Freeman, Robert Freeman, Royce Lee Freeman, the whole team at Elite Motorsports, um, everybody that has been involved with the creation of this event, uh, Marty Robertson at Elite HP, everybody, my whole team at Drag Illustrated, you, uh, Murder Tundra, Nancy Copen for sure, Mike Carpenter, Nate and Josh, uh, Caroline fielding phone calls all day. The, the group we have here, I'm proud to say that I think we, we did inject a little bit of energy and enthusiasm into pro stock racing. If you think about the other storylines that have existed, like the, the negative ones that have existed with pro stock, we completely flipped the script on that, right? I mean, yep. we paid more in 2020 to qualify for a pro stock, for our pro stock race than it paid to win a pro stock race in the NHRA. And I'm not casting stones. I'm not, that's not a shot across the bow. It's just a fact. And I'm super proud of that. And the fact that we're going to roll back into Orlando here in about three and a half weeks and set that place on fire and let the stars of pro stock and pro mod race for the money they deserve to race for, 75,000 to win in pro stock, 50,000 to win in pro mod, 10,000 to win in all of our sportsman categories. I just, door slammer drag racing deserves this. And I do hope, Martyr Tundra, that we, uh, that we participated in pouring a little bit of fuel of the, a little bit of fuel on the pro stock fire. I think for sure. That, I mean, this is, it's, I've got, we've got some news that's going to break throughout the week and I, the rest of the week, and I don't want to spoil it here, but I do want to say that I have heard from a handful of racers that the only race they don't want to miss this year is Orlando, the, the door slammer Nats. Like, Hey, awesome. I, I want to run the Gators and I want to run Indy and I want to do this and I want to do that, but I can't miss Orlando. And that's, that's what you're going for, right? That's what you're always after as a promoter to make your event, the one that stands tall, stands, stands above the rest 
and I'm super proud of the progress we've made in a year, right? I mean, we went, yeah. I mean, it's literally been about a year that this whole thing has existed, 13 months or so, and I couldn't be more excited about the progress we've made in such a short amount of time. We honestly can hardly keep up with the sponsorship announcements. We can hardly keep up with the racer announcements. There's, and it's, these are all, that's, none of those are complaints. It's a great problem to have is that we just have so many people involved in the race, so many people excited about it, so many people passionate about it that, shoot, I mean, I, I, I don't even hardly know what to say. It's going to be, I'm proud of it, man. I want, I grew up chasing the pro stock dream alongside my dad. Um, I watched my dad work his entire life to, to go pro stock racing. And I remember how proud he was to own Larry Morgan's leftovers, right? Or to, mm -hmm. to buy an engine from somebody that wasn't their motor that would qualify, but it was their, their, their motor that would, you know, be okay for us. And I just remember the time and the energy and the road trips and pro stock just, there's something about it. It's different. It's a different animal than any other class in drag racing. There's a certain refinement to it. There's an air about competing in that class that it's, I think the challenge is known that the technology, the attention to detail required is well known. It's well established. Um, it's crushed a lot of people. There've been a lot of people go try to run pro stock, do terrible, go to another class, win championships, right? And I think yep. that it may not get talked about out in the open like we are here, but those conversations and those thoughts are had behind closed doors. And I'm just excited personally, the respect that I have for the, the David Rares of the world and, and uh, the legends of pro stock and the Bob Glidden's and the Lee Shepherds and all these people, the Warren Johnson's, the Kurt Johnson's, I mean, the list goes on. There's been all these people that have contributed to the, the history and the, the, the tradition of pro stock that I'm, I couldn't be more humbled, proud, excited, every other word you guys want me to throw out there to, to say that we, Drag Illustrated, has had any impact on pro stock drag racing. It's something that I think we should all be pretty proud of. God knows that I am. Next Goose topic, stuff. man. All right, Goosebumps. next topic. What do we Who got? Who will shine as manual shifters arrived in ProMod? Who will shine as manual shifters arrive in ProMod? I think this is interesting. I actually just, this is something that's getting a lot of talk right now. I've had... Um, multiple conversations with multiple racers and it's interesting because there still seem to be some people that are very excited about it but the number of people that aren't thrilled it's escalating i continue to hear from racers that are going what do you think about this, this is stupid whatever and I've, I've been i've been surprised i really have because i just spent 20 minutes talking about you know the people that embrace a challenge and embrace something that they know is going to be hard and embrace something that they know is going to make success even harder to come by in uh, that that is not that is definitely not the common uh, that is not the the majority feeling that exists in the pro mod pits right now when you talk about who's going to shine looking at like the qualifying order from the final pro mod race of the season shout out to rob fisher and the guys at e3 spark plugs the e3 spark plugs nhra pro mod series presented by jna service shout out to uh, jim and annie whiteley and everybody that has supported this series for all these years and got it to where it is today. Um, when I look at the qualifying order from the season ending NHRA national event in Las Vegas, sponsored by our friend Lisa Mickler at Denso Spark Plugs, um, that was obviously not, it's not a great 
place to look because car count was kind of down. Uh, there was only a handful of cars that were in contention for a championship and making the tow out west was a bit of a struggle. I think there was like 17 or 18 cars um, when ProMod was kind of getting accustomed to 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 cars. Um, but you go look at like Indy where there's 20, 30 cars and I go down through that list, I gotta be honest and, and I'm not going to, uh, I'm not gonna come out here and name names and, and upset people, but I will say, I don't know that the majority of people in NHRA legal pro mod right now are going to thrive in this environment. I, I truly believe there are a lot of people that don't race enough to be successful uh, with a manually shifted race car. And it's, it's going to be fun to see because I know there's gonna be plenty of people that are excited about the challenge and are, are here to prove people like me wrong. But I look at guys like, there are guys on those qualifying lists that have never raced with a clutch, who've never shifted gears, never pulled levers, never done any of those things ever in their life. I mean, you look at like where ProMod started, all those cars started out with a Lenko in them, right? With, with Lenko levers, right? So then they moved to air towers. So, but a lot throughout the course of 20, 30 years of history, a lot of those guys, the Ricky Smith, Shannon Jenkins, Mike Castellanas, um, those guys have done it. They've shifted the car. Um, a lot of the fresh faces, I mean, I would venture to say that, that Stevie Jackson's never raced a car with a clutch. That's my guess. I, I would say that he's always had an automatic. Um, and he, that's probably why he's one of the best racers out there right now is all of his experience with automatic transmissions and torque converters specifically. So I do think it's going to be interesting to see who rises to the challenge and who throws in the towel. I've heard from multiple racers that if they're not able to have success, and I don't think they mean win races, I think they mean qualify, make some good runs, right? None of these guys are saying, hey, if I don't win Orlando, or if I don't win Gainesville, or qualify number one at Gainesville, I'm out. But I will tell you that I've had off-the-record conversations with multiple racers who've told me, hey man, if, if I go out and tear a bunch of stuff up and spend two, three, four races not qualifying or whatever, I'm going, I'm doing something else. And I hate to hear that. You hate to hear that. But you know, you know that's out there. You know that's a possibility. And I just hope that with the technology and the efficiency of these cars and how far we've come from the days of banging off guard walls, guard walls and shaking tires and crossing the center line, ProMod's much more refined than it was 10, 20 years ago, obviously, and even more refined than it was five, six years ago. I'm hoping that the cars are repeatable enough now and, and the windows there for people to be successful with the manual transmission. But it is going to be tough for the guy that only races six times a year, 12 times a year, only flies in, jumps in the car, doesn't spend a lot of time testing, shows up on race day. And you guys know the people that I'm talking about. And this is not, this isn't a derogatory thing. It's not a negative thing. It's just the, the facts of life. And the people that do something the most frequently or most more often than you are probably going to be better at it. And there are a small group of, Stevie Jackson is another one. I mean, he just comes to mind as someone who races all the time right? So he, he just sees the trees so often. He's in that seat so often. He's got a hand on the steering wheel so often. He's uncomfortable and hot and sweating so often that people like that, I think, are poised or better positioned to be successful when there's a huge curveball such as this thrown their direction. I think there's been a couple of interesting developments in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if 
Um, our viewers here followed the story on dragillustrated.com that Josh Hatchett, our senior editor, put together a couple of weeks ago about FuelTech. Uh, just as an example, FuelTech, a well-known leader in engine management, car control, um, uh, computers, just well-known for their EFI technology, engine control modules, I think, as they um, basically go by, by and large. But anyways, I was speaking with Luis de Leon uh, at FuelTech, and they actually built in a, a what would you say, like a, a deal into the, fuel, the latest FuelTech software, the firmware update that won't allow for any sort of electronic, uh, any sort of computer controlled shifting, right? So I mean, even the manufacturers, even the software developers, the people behind the scenes are, are working hard to make sure that nobody's cheating, there's no workarounds um, that exist. I do think that this is something that, just as a side note, I do believe there's gonna be a lot of people, policing this is going to be an issue absolutely going to be an issue. People are going to try to skirt it. They can't help it. Racers go and race. Um, and I think if you're not pushing the envelope or trying to find a way, a workaround or whatever, um, it, a lot of people are. And I know that that's going to happen. I think the NHRA is going to have a challenge on their hands just to make sure that's not the case. Obviously, this is something that it's not going to be impossible to catch someone. It's going to be pretty easy to catch someone. So I think it's going to be fun to watch. Great comment from uh, Monday Morning Racer. The drivers such as Alec La Alex Laughlin with Pro Stock Experience going into Pro Mods this year will shine. I agree 100%. The people that have raced Pro Stock for years and years and years and dabble in Pro Mod or have switched over, they're going to shine here in 2021. And this, this may be their moment. This may be their moment to kind of close the gap, if you will. I, I do think that a lot of the arguments about safety. It's just, it's, you can make a case. It's not impossible. And this is something I've always kind of prided myself in is being fairly open-minded and letting people state their case and, and listening to people that maybe don't share my viewpoint, but it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole thing transpires. I look at someone like a Jason Scruggs. I don't know if Jason's intending on making the full pull in uh, E3 spark plugs NHRA Pro Mod drag racing this year. I do know that he is attending the fast approaching SeaTech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by JEGS. Super excited about that. Never thought I'd have a race uh, that Jason Scruggs, he's one of my personal heroes and a dear friend. Uh, never thought I'd be having a race that Jason Scruggs was racing at. I'm super excited to see that red Camaro in the staging lanes with Mitchell Scruggs smiling face standing beside it. But my point is I think guys like Jason Scruggs, if he, he's a very good driver. I've had many people tell me that he's amongst the best, if not the best, in door slammer drag racing. Uh, I expect to see someone like Jason shine. I expect to see Alex Laughlin shine. Uh, don't totally know Todd Tudorow's plans for 2021, but I believe Todd Tudorow is someone that will do very, very well. Uh, Mike Janis, before news broke, uh, the very unfortunate, kind of heartbreaking news that Mike Janis, due to a some medical complications would no longer be driving their team's race car. I think Mike Janice is somebody that would have shined in this moment. Uh, but I really do look, even some of the fresh faces, Brandon Snyder, Stevie Jackson, they're going to be fine. They're going to do very well with this. And it's it's going to be fun to see. And to, to, to borrow Stevie Jackson's phrase on this whole deal, anything that serves to put the onus more so on the driver's shoulders you have to get behind. And I understand that there's gonna be some, certainly some negatives to it, uh, but man, I can't help but feel like drag racing at this level should be difficult and it should be something that not every human being is capable of doing. It should be something that a special person is required to do because God knows it requires a special level of courage, 
um, a special level of passion, um, a special hatred of money. Uh, it requires a lot of special traits, and I think it should require some special physical and mental traits. So, fun to watch, man. On to the next one. What do you got for me? Fresh faces everywhere. Sports and racers moving up. This is just a thing that I wanted to talk about in passing, uh, but I feel like it's worth noting that there's going to be – I was worried about Megan Myers retirement. Top alcohol, dragster, world champion, very, very uh, – a, a beloved racer, someone who really kind of came on the scene and quickly became a personality that people knew, uh, developed a lot of sponsorship relationships, did a great job on her own personal social media, her own personal promotion. She's someone that I see as, as something of a shining example of how it's done. And I was worried, not worried, but I was bummed to see her exit. I totally respect it, uh, starting a family, got married, having children, and I applaud that wholeheartedly. But I, I did take pause and, and kind of took a step back, like, man, Top Alcohol Dragster really needs needed her. She, she did a great thing for that class because I think her willingness to promote herself and her willingness to to kind of step out of her comfort zone and, and be loud and proud about the racing that she was doing with her dad, uh, Randy, one of the coolest dudes of all time. Anyways, she, she did a lot for the whole class. I think the attention she brought to Top Alcohol Dragster was great. And I just was thrilled to find out that Rachel Meyer, her sister, who is like world-class mechanically inclined. This is a fantastic thing for the sport of drag racing that this young pretty girl that's about to jump behind the wheel of a top alcohol dragster and run bottom fives at damn near 300 miles per hour, she can do the clutch on the car, right? She can work on it. She can contribute to tuning decisions and she's gonna jump behind the wheel and drive it and she'll probably like do her hair and makeup between, the, between rounds. I think it's a fantastic thing that a Myers girl, one of Randy, Randy's daughters is going to continue the family tradition of kicking ass and taking names and top alcohol dragster and I think it will it, it will be a great thing for the whole category and sportsman racing as a whole because what these young ladies represent, in my opinion, is proof. They're evidence. They're proof that it can happen. They're proof that you can, you don't have to race top fuel, guys. We just talked about it with Street Outlaws and No Prep Kings and, and, and Pro Stock and Pro Mod, but you don't have to go 300 miles per hour. You don't have to have... You don't have to have a funny car. You don't have to be pitted next to, to the Coletta team to go get a sponsor and to get people excited about what you're doing and, and develop a fan following and sell merchandise. She's such a shining example for our sport that there's enough energy, movement, people, interest here to see someone who's racing in admittedly well a sportsman category, not racing on live TV, right? Not racing at prime time, not racing at you know high noon or 11 o'clock you know, on Sunday morning, right? That are, that are having to run in the morning or having to run at night. She's still managed to demonstrate value, a bulk of value, a huge amount of value by being involved with her race team, by all these other things she did, right? Racing was only a part of it. And I just think that it's fantastic that that tradition is being carried on in the Myers camp. I'm really excited about what Rachel's gonna be able to do behind the wheel of that hot rod, but she's not the only one. My list includes like Dallas Glenn moving up into pro stock. That's a fantastic thing. S serves to remind people what's possible. This isn't a guy that's got endless family wealth or anything like that. He went out, found partners, found people that believed in him, and, and he's going to get a shot by way of those people. 
Krista Baldwin going to make her top fuel competition debut behind the wheel of her, her grandfather, the Greek Chris Karamassini's top fuel dragster early this year, um, coming up at the Gator Nationals. I just think that there's, this is so great for the sport of drag racing to see young folk like the Myers girls, like Dallas Glenn, um, like Krista Baldwin moving up the ranks and making a name for themselves. And I just, I think it's a fantastic thing for the sport of drag racing. I get people asking me all the time, you know, who's the next Randy Meyer? Well, maybe it's Rachel and Megan. Maybe when their dad retires or steps away or decides to, you know, focus on farming or what have you, they'll be the, the team owners that are fielding a car that everybody that wants to drive a top alcohol car wants to drive for, right? Maybe that that's so important. And I, I look at maybe Krista Baldwin is the one that's getting a sponsor and she's, she's the next big team owner. Maybe she's the next Shirley Muldowney, right? Maybe she's out here 10, 15 years from now fielding her own two car, multi-car top fuel team or funny car team. It's just, they're there. I asked a question one time on the pages of Drag Illustrated and I took a bunch of heat for it. This would have been in like 2006 or seven. I asked the question in a public forum in my letter from the editor, who's the next Jason Scruggs? Who's the next Shannon Jenkins? Who's the next Alan Johnson? Who's the next what Erica Enders? And I got a slew of emails and handwritten letters with people saying, I am, my daughter is, my son is, this guy is, that girl is. And I'm, I'm reminded again here today, and I'm here to remind you that our sport's in great hands. No matter what you think about top fuel and funny car car count or car count in any of the professional categories, I, I urge you to, to look around and realize, man, the numbers are there, the people are there, the interest is there. And I believe our sport's in really good shape, really, really good shape. And it's exciting, man. Uh, I, I kind of excluded our cover star, Johnny Placino. I mean, who knows how long until he's the guy, you know, fielding a car that, that his son's driving or that someone's renting from him, or maybe he's got a couple cars. It's our sports in good hands. I know there are people that I, I've, I see the same thing as you guys do. And I hear everybody talk about virtual reality and kids won't get off their playstations and blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm telling you, the interest is still there. The, I, I see, I, I spend my weekends uh, at the racetrack and I'm telling you, that I, I can attest that, that the people are there, the energy's there, the, the interest is there. Uh, we just gotta be a little more welcoming to them. So let's, uh, let's continue on to the next one, buddy, before we run out of time. Ooh, I forgot about this one. What will John Forrest Racing do in 2021? I believe it yet, it's yet to be seen. I don't know anyone that knows 100% uh, that I've been able to confirm with what exactly the plans are. I will tell you that the race season is upon us and i would expect an announcement one way or the other as to jfr's plans for 2021 to be coming soon i'll tell you that we this is something uh, i'm going to fly to 30,000 feet here and just kind of look at the overall lay of the land i will say that as bad as it was to see drag racing without john force in the pits in 2021 i hope everyone did realize that we all survived right john force wasn't there and we right. still had a ton of great drag races. We still had, we still crowned champions. They're every bit as valid as any other champion, right? And I just hope that if we're prepared mentally, like as we look forward to recognize that there will be a time John Force isn't in the pits, no matter what. Is it in 2021? Uh, I don't know. 
maybe, maybe he's around for a long time. Maybe he's fielding a team for many, many years to come. But I'll tell you guys that there will be life for the sport of drag racing beyond John Force. And I'm actually excited to, for the first time, see the door wide open for someone else to step in. Right? I think that John Force, and I know that I've talked about this before, I've written about it at length. John Force and his counterparts, his daughters, his team, that whole camp, they absorb so much, or historically, they have absorbed so much of the available spotlight. Right? There's only so many minutes on the TV show. There's only so many cameras. And he's gobbled them up. Right? I mean, they've They've had to dedicate, no matter whether it's Fox or ESPN before them or the NHRA now, whoever, you had to focus so much attention on him, justifiably, rightfully so. They're not wrong. I'm not saying that anybody's wrong for having done that. I'm just saying he was such an explosive star. He was such a character, right? And I'm excited to see what what comes next, right? Do I want to see John Force around for, for many years to come? Absolutely. And I think the sport of drag racing owes him a, a, a retirement tour, kind of. I think John Force deserves a, a year of, of celebration. Uh, I really do. I honestly think that that guy, much like Kobe Bryant's final NBA season, he, he kind of, there were several times when he'd get hot and they'd let him go. You know, they'd feed him the ball. Uh-huh. Right, and they they let him run wild, and I think that we the sport of drag racing owes John Force something like that. I think it would be an absolute shame for him not to have the opportunity to go out rightfully, the, the way he's supposed to go out, you know, on a pedestal, being ooed and awed over, being uh, adored and and loved the way he has for thirty plus years in drag racing. So, I, I truly hope that he gets the opportunity to do that, but I think it does. It starts the dialogue, it starts the process. It's gonna be a process of what drag racing on the NHRA uh, Camping World Series looks like without John Force there, without this very, it's like having a circus and your your tigers are gone or the elephant is gone, right? You, you, <laughs> yeah. and it, right, I mean, it's that one thing that everybody goes to the circus to see that elephant, right? right. And John Force has been our elephant. Right? I've, I've referred to him as the, the tent pole in the middle that just mm-hmm. kind of props the whole thing up. Right, And I, I do hope that everybody just recognizes that there will be life beyond John Force. This is something that I've heard about a lot in the last calendar year with COVID and them deciding to sit out 2020 and, and kind of live to race another day, uh, which I think was actually a, very, a bummer of a decision, but certainly a very wise one from a, from a business perspective. And I think that it's it's... It's a necessary thing for us all, all of us, the people in the media, the NHRA, the, the various manufacturers, people that have leaned on John Force and his conglomerate for their exposure and for their marketing endeavors. It's time for everybody to kind of prepare for whatever comes next, right? And, and hopefully that's John Force fielding multiple cars with young gun drivers, his daughter in the, Brittany in a car, or maybe Courtney comes back, or he's got um, wh- whatever the case may be, Austin Proc, whoever, jumps in a car with with JFR on the side of it. He's been the guy that's championed that next generation of racers for as long as I've been alive. And I I truly hope that he gets the opportunity to do that and carry on the tradition that he's created, uh, a tradition of excellence, a tradition of of championships. 
but I do hope that I'm excited because I think that the door is finally open, perhaps for the first time in three decades, for someone else to be the big star. Right? I and mean, that's probably that's probably part of the problem is that you know the NHRA just tried to tie all the ropes to that one pole. You know, it's like they you know, really did. Now, now, and now, I, that, now and they, I don't, we're going to have be forced to go out and 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 look in different directions. And sometimes you need that, right? Absolutely. Because um, I think a lot of bit. I mean, I look at this is kind of like COVID for a lot of business owners, myself included. It forced you to take a hard look, maybe a, a harder look than you've ever taken before. It forced you to to change. It forced you to adapt and. That, in some, some regards, as hard as COVID has been on a lot of people and a lot of businesses, some of that, I think, is has to be welcome, right? Like, you know what? Yeah. I needed to, to buckle down or I needed to re renew my commitment to this or renew my focus on this. And I'm hoping that there, within the NHRA, there become there is a newfound focus or a newfound commitment to character development. It's the same thing that you would do if you had a sitcom. Right, you would labor over developing this character and developing this story and making it so that people fall in love with them or people despise them or people want to see them succeed or or what have you. I hope that there's some a renewed commitment or at least a, a well known and stated and obvious focus on developing new stars because I believe they're there. I really do. I mean, I think that our sport is. I mean, the cover of the magazine has been fantastic for identifying these people. I'm super proud of that because we're, we're willing to kind of stick our neck out there and say, hey, I think this kid's special. I think this kid's going somewhere. And I just believe that there's a lot of people kind of lying in wait, just needing someone to, to spin the camera their direction, right? And I think there have been people such as Stevie Jackson that have really embraced that. I think the NHRA kind of latched onto him intelligently, very smartly. They, they latched onto that and I saw him showing up on podcasts and I saw him being interviewed more frequently and, and being leaned on at SEMA and trade events and whatnot. And I think that's really, really, really important. But the, the pits of any given drag race are full of incredible stories and none more so than the National Hot Rod Association. I mean, it's the highest level of drag racing that exists and it doesn't take too long walking through those pits to find a slew of awesome people that are easy to fall in love with, are easy to root for. And I just hope on the heels of whatever happens next with John Forrest Racing that, that all of us are, are wel welcome that change, welcome something new. Uh, and who knows, it may take a little while. Will it be as good? Will they be as funny? Will they be as crazy acting or whatever as John Forrest? Who knows, maybe not. They don't need to be. They don't need to be a, a carbon copy uh, of John Force. But I, I'm very excited to see who steps in to that role and who who steps up and sticks their neck out because people think that John Force's success and stardom and all that just happened. Don't think for a second that he doesn't that he didn't labor over that, that he didn't think about it, that he didn't plan like, man, I gotta give big interviews, I gotta say more, I gotta be high energy, I gotta be a storyteller, I gotta let people in, I gotta show my emotions, I gotta wear my heart on my shirt sleeve. And so few people are willing to do that. I mean, that's the exact reason that there's only a handful of people that have had the impact or the influence that people, that John Force has, right? Because mm -hmm. only so, yep. so few of people are willing to do that because it's one thing to go out and be successful on the racetrack, right? That you need that, but the real, the real powerhouses, I think Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, uh, uh, I'm just using Patrick Mahomes. Not only do they have the people call those guys double, triple threats because not only are they able to do 
perform at a high level on the, the competitive field, on the playing field, but they're also able to go speak clearly and intelligently in a press conference. They're able to, to, to shine in a commercial. They're able to be funny like Peyton Manning is for those insurance commercials, right? They're able to, to do something else, to add on to what they're able to accomplish on the track. And that, that stuff comes with practice. It comes with an investment of time and energy because uh, I've met plenty of people that are like the best drag racers amongst the best, the most decorated champions or whatever, never were able to get a sponsor, never really moved the needle much or whatever, because while they could do that, they can't talk in public. They freeze up. Right. They have no personality. They, they don't want to say anything. They don't want to give out any secrets or whatever. And that, uh, that may serve as another fantastic challenge here for the end of the show, just to remind people that that stuff, the success of a Conor McGregor in the UFC, don't think he didn't go into that deal going, as soon as they put a camera on me, I'm saying something crazy. As soon as I get a chance, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to live with the consequences and look where the guy is now, right? So right. anyways, challenge you guys. Put yourself out there. This, this will move us right into the next segment of asking. Okay. Any questions, just drop them in. I'm just plugging my laptop. Wes, do you feel the same way about Don Schumacher, Corey McGinn? Um, man, I, it's an interesting thing. I don't necessarily, and let me, I don't want John Force to go away. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm open to it, right? I, I want John Force to be around drag racing as long as John Force wants to be around drag racing. I will say that I do think that there gets to a point of like diminishing returns. The, the biggest star in our sport cannot be 70. It just can't be, right? I mean, right, that, right, right. That, that can't be the case. And that's the case we're in. That's the situation we're in right now, is that for decades, the biggest star in our sport has been advancing in age. It's, it's hard for young people to, unless you're a dyed-in-the-wool drag racer, a dyed-in-the-wool car guy, John Force kind of hard to, to, to latch on to, right? He's, yeah. he's not Patrick Mahomes. You know what I mean? Like this young, cool dude with the glasses and the backpack. You know what I mean? Like it's just a different thing. Um, so I, I want to just make that perfectly clear that it's not necessarily that I want anybody to go away. Drag racing doesn't need anyone to go away. But I do think that when one door closes, another one opens. And I heard this from a, a dear friend of mine, Paul Lee, uh, the owner of McLeod Clutches, um, FTI Tour Converters. He, he said to me a few years ago, and I've, I've really latched onto it, Paul said to me that he doesn't like to use the word problems. Um, he likes to use the word opportunities instead. And I think that that, it just stuck with me uh, because he actually caught himself. He said to me, he goes, well, the problem is, and he goes, wait, I hate using that word. I like to use the word opportunity. So the opportunity is, and that's, I think that that's some, a way of thinking that maybe our entire sport could, could use that, in one sense, you could say that it's a problem that if a John Force went away, he fields three, four cars, right? But I, I think that there's an opportunity there because there may be someone waiting in the wings that knew they couldn't come out and compete with John Force Racing. They couldn't come out with a multi-car team um, and be competitive. Maybe in their mind, they knew that they were going to, but not, if that multi-car powerhouse were to go away, obviously a horrible situation that I don't, I'm not wishing for. I'm just encouraging everybody to kind of open their mind that there may be some people out there that, that step up because they see an opportunity. Like, hey, 
We don't got to run against John Force, Robert Height, and Brittany Force uh-huh. anymore. Now's the time to go top fuel racing. Now's the time to go pro funny car racing. I don't got to race against John Force. Um, th- that could be something that happens. Uh, with Don Schumacher, it's interesting because he's he has already started putting people in place um, to carry the torch for whatever happens next with him. I definitely... Again, I want to just reiterate that it's not a matter of wanting anybody to go away. It's just trying to encourage all of us to embrace something of a an abundance mindset instead of a scarcity mindset, right? I just want to, and that's, and I'm, and it's not. I'm not able to practice this all the time. I'm saying it out loud to almost remind myself just that there's life beyond this, right? We have to recognize that three of the biggest power brokers in drag racing, the the highest. The, the biggest team operations, the biggest team owners, uh, Connie Coletta, Don Schumacher, John Forrest, right? These are three gentlemen that are, I'm not saying anything out of turn here. They're older guys, right? They're not going to do this forever, right? Maybe they got three years left. Maybe they got five years left. Maybe they got 10 years left. I don't know. But we have to be wrapping our heads around collectively whatever comes next. I mean, are we prepared for that? Is the NHRA prepared for that, right? These, I mean, I mean, I come from a family, both my parents have cancer. Don Schumacher is a, is a cancer survivor. I mean, life throws us curveballs, is all I'm saying, and that there's just no telling what the future holds. And I, I would hate to see us all collectively just bank it on those guys racing until the end of time. Because I don't right. think that's a realistic scenario. <laughs> I really don't. I don't think that's a realistic thing. And I, and I think about how much they've accomplished. What more does Don Schumacher have to prove? His funny cars won every fucking race last year. Every race. <laughs> what, what, what has he Crazy. got to prove? Right? What, what has John Force got to prove? What's Connie Coletta got to pr- prove? Nothing. Right? So they're, they're, the, what they do, and this, people need not sleep on this either. We should probably all send them a thank you card because they don't have to do this. Right? I mean, there are, there are I'm sure some of these people, um, there's money to be made here and there, but a lot of these people, a lot of the people that I'm talking about are spending money racing, not, not making money racing, right? So I think it's, we have to be thankful and very fortunate and grateful for what they've done and how they've contributed to the sport. But we also have to recognize that we need to be putting some sort of something in place, people in place, a program in place, something that's going to fill that well back up when they inevitably go away. And I think that if we start thinking about that now, it would be helpful instead of getting caught with our pants down two or three years from now, headed into the first race of the season, and we've only got like eight funny cars, right? Like, what can we do right now to increase participation, get some new people out, find some new superstars, help connect some dots? One of the things that I heard were part of the plan uh, with Camping World was for Marcus Limonis and his team to identify companies and brands, manufacturers in their world, in the camping world portfolio, maybe not companies they own, but companies they do business with. I'm just going to use it as an example. I'm not, you know, I'm not making a pitch here. I'm just saying like Camping World probably sells a lot of Yeti coolers, right? It would be cool to see Yeti have a race car, right? Have a presence at the racetrack. What's another outdoorsy company, Murder Tundra? What's that? What's um, another outdoorsy company? Bass Pro Shop, Cabell's, Gainer Mountain. Um, yeah, like all, stuff all that they make. Yeah, like the people that make tents, the people that make whatever stuff that you use camping, right? Yeah, Rockies. Yeah, 
Yeah, Rocky, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying just it would be fantastic to see some of those connections made. And I think that NHRA is going to have to open their minds to, hey, instead of coming up with a sponsor for an indie shootout, we probably need to be coming up with some sponsorship programs or some facilitating some deals that are going to get some cars out here, right? That are going to help maybe connect some people. Maybe, maybe you're having a, a summit connecting your, your racing racers with, mm-hmm. maybe you have sponsor fair. Instead of a job fair, you bring a bunch of people in and, and, and wine and dine them, get them drunk. You know, so I think that's what's going to take, what I right? I mean, that's I mean, what that's I would what we do. Talk about, right? We talk about yeah, that all the I mean, time would, sponsors. I would bring people out to the races, show them how incredible this is. I would earmark X amount of budget. Like every race that happens in 2021, in my opinion, there should be an executive or a marketing director or a, a CMO, chief marketing officer or something from a company at every race, brought out as a guest, get them drunk, just put them up in the Ritz, Carlton, whatever. Make them feel good about them. themselves. Make yep. them feel good about themselves, bring them to the racetrack in a limo, take them to the Gator Nationals when that place is bursting at the seams and you would be surprised getting people out to the races. I mean, that's something that I would be going, okay, we need to have an entire team dedicated to who are we reaching out to? Who are we, who are we talking to? Who are we developing relationships with? Who can we bring out and expose them to our sport and the magic that exists, not only between these two guard walls, but these, this, these entire events, right? I mean, the passion, the enthusiasm, the money that's being spent, the disposable income that exists, uh, drag racing fans, by and large, are well-to-do, man. There, there's literally surveys that have been done to support this. These are people that are educated. These are people with money in their pocket. These are do-it-yourselfers, right? It's such a, a valuable demographic. It's such an incredible group of people that you're insane not to try to harness it in some way, shape, or form. So anyways, kind of got off on a little sponsorship tangent there, but I, I'm just saying that there will be life beyond Coletta Motorsports. There'll be life beyond Don Schumacher. There'll be life beyond these mega teams that fill the pits right now. And, and I would argue, or not argue, but I would just, my pushback on all of this is just to um, see, recognize that the sport's going to change. It may not look the way that it does right now. I think about like, I close my eyes and I think about like Nitro Alley and you know uh four six eight trailers that are dsr and and four or five trailers that are coletta um and and a slew of trailers that are that are john force and i just think about it and i go like it's unrealistic it's unrealistic and perhaps silly and irresponsible to think that this is what it's always going to look like right and i we've been blessed that it's looked this way for this long but it's not going to look like this forever so we have to we have to as a sport as a community be figuring out whatever's next. And I, I'll tell you before we take the next question here, we got a few more minutes left. Uh, that, that's part of what we're trying very hard to do with the World Door Slammer Nationals. I mean, our partners, C-Tech, JEGS, True Leave, Performance Diesel, uh, PDI, everybody that's involved with this event, um, it's important to us to have this event look, feel, sound, be different and be representative of what I think a drag, a major league drag racing event should look like headed into the future. So we're doing our part. I encourage everybody to, to do theirs, man. It's, uh, this sport has accepted second-class citizen status. We, we have allowed for ourselves to be a rung below 
NASCAR, a rung below IndyCar, a rung below Formula One. I, I think a lot of times we feel we're a rung below Monster Truck, Monster Jams. We're a rung below. It's, it, we are the largest. That I would. Be, I have to believe there's more licensed drag racers, participating drag racers than any other motorsport. Right? There's drag yep. strips all across the country, all around the planet. Our, our longtime friend of the show and, and friend of Drag Illustrated, Tyler Crossno, just got home. The, the series director for, for the PDRA just got home from Kuwait, right? Going yeah. over there to prep the track and make sure they got a safe racing surface, safe, fast racing surface. There's our sports in great shape. There's people all around the world that are passionate about this. It's on TV Monday night, sometimes two or three times a week. There's going to be multiple NHRA national events televised live on Fox in 2021. And I just would love to see us collectively stick our chests out and start acting the part because it starts with all of us, right? I mean, no sponsor is going to want to be with, want to associate with themselves with a sport or a group of people who admittedly feel they fly below the radar or are ignored or aren't part of the conversation. That's, we got to push back guys as a group. We got to push back. We got to ask for more. We got to expect more. Next can we question. A, can, we, can we get a hospitality trailer? <laughs> I would like to get a hospitality awesome. Huge shout out to uh, my, my buddies at uh, Elite Motorsports and Flying A Motorsports down there in Cuba, Missouri, Alan and Lauren and the whole gang. Um, dude, because badass motorhomes and, and buses are like mandatory in for me in 2021. As we move <laughs> forward, I, I, I got to have a bus. Okay, Freak Driver. I'm assuming that's not your birth name. Uh, what does NHRA and drag racing as a whole do to contend with fan attendance in a world where COVID-19 is still a real problem? Um, it's the big question, right? I think everybody in the world that's trying to put on events or trying to get people together in a room uh, is faced with a very similar challenge. I mean, my, I want to say that my heart goes out truly to bar owners and restaurant owners across the country that have, that have seen their businesses crumble. I know there's tons of restaurants that'll never open back up, bars that'll never open back up, and it absolutely breaks my heart because I'm a people person. Uh, I love being out amongst people. I love being at a party or amongst a crowd, and it, it really does break my heart, and I feel for everybody that's, that's had to kind of stumble forward to the best of their ability during these uh, unprecedented times. But I, I don't know, freak driver. I honestly, I think that... Uh, Contending with it is going to be taking it seriously. I, I want to—I I, got to tip my cap to the NHRA and every single racer, crew member, fan, enthusiast that came out and supported the NHRA in 2020. Because I honestly thought when I heard there was a mandate that you had to wear a mask at NHRA national events, I just thought people wouldn't. I, I shame on me. I didn't give my racing family enough credit. I thought people would push back. It's a lot of conservative people. This is a lot of people that are big on personal freedoms. Uh, I just didn't think that we would see that kind of adherence. And I was really proud because nobody, I think you have to set aside the fact, nobody wants to be wearing a mask, but I was so proud of the racing masses that want to do this so bad and are so committed and so passionate about it that they'll do something that doesn't line up with their belief system or isn't comfortable or isn't ideal. And I just was super proud of that. Uh, I was super proud of the tracks that I went to. I can't count the number of times I had to have my temperature taken. 
uh, before going into an event venue. That the expense and the struggle and the test that all of that is cannot be overstated. And we need to give all these people and these officials and track workers and everybody that's contributed and had to play ball, wear a mask all day. Can you imagine being an NHRA safety safari member? One of the hardest jobs in this whole deal, right? Wearing a fire suit or wearing, you know, long pants and a shirt and, and all the, the nuances of that, not to mention busting your butt, running up and down the racetrack and cleaning up messes. Then to have to do the whole thing with a face mask on all day with no reprieve and know that you have a laser beam on you, people paying attention, you're wearing the NHRA oval, so you've got to be responsible or somebody's going to tell you about it or someone's going to tell your boss. Huge, huge, huge kudos to all those people. So I think a lot of things are already being done. We all have to take these things seriously. We all have to do our best. Every track, most of these cities, states, everybody's got a little bit different flair. There's no, I don't know that there's going to be a standard way to do it, but I think we're going to have to encourage people to be clean. I think we're going to see more bathroom attendance at racetracks in 2021 probably than ever before. We're going to see um, additional effort, hand sanitizer stations, uh, I think we're going to see the continuation of mask ordinances and people wearing masks. Um, but I would also tell people that they need to take their safety personally, right? You're, you're responsible for your health and well-being. Um, if you're sick, don't go to the racetrack. You don't feel well, don't go to the shop. You know, these are things that we all have to kind of be responsible about it. And I think that track operators and, and race promoters around the country are really doing a good job. I saw saw it throughout the year there's obviously places where i'd go like holy crap it looks like a covid hotbed or whatever but and you're gonna have that human's gonna human right we're gonna screw up we're gonna do the wrong thing we're gonna get excited we're gonna forget um we're gonna get wrapped up in the moment those things i think are gonna happen no matter what but i just think people have to be responsible track owners need to be responsible and uh, do the best they can to keep people safe it's gonna be tough i think that there are a group of people that aren't going to travel right now, and I don't think they're bad for that. Um, you may not agree with it. Um, there's a group of people that aren't going to go to live events. There's a group of people that aren't going to go to an airport. Um, however, there's another group of people that are going to completely live their lives with zero changes. They're going to continue moving forward. So the, the big thing, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, is that there's, there's enough people. There's enough people out there that are going to events that these events can be successful. And... There, there are ways to make it as safe as safe can be. I don't think there's a perfect foolproof plan. Uh, I've seen that myself multiple times. I've seen people that, and unfortunately, I've encountered a lot of people that seem to have done everything that they could to not catch, end up with COVID and end up with COVID. Um, and then I think there are people that have been completely careless that'll never get it. <laughs> I'm not talking about murder tundra, but I might be. I was, and yeah. you've done. I, I've actually even been impressed with you. I wasn't early on. I know. <laughs> but my point is just that I just think that uh, we're going to be all right. It's it's a tough thing. I think track. I, I would say that it's going to be a lot about understanding. Our whole world could be. We just can't get so mad so fast. I I got frustrated with this on Sunday, and I had to. Sunday night, I was trying to cope with the loss of the Chiefs, and I thought, you know what, I'll read some funny stuff on, on the internet or scroll Facebook for a minute before I go to bed. And I just saw one person after another bitching about the Super Bowl, or this bitching about the halftime show. It's ridiculous. I, Everybody wants to be And I just thought to myself, something. like, 
it's such a national pass. I don't think baseball is our national pastime anymore. I think being pissed off is our national right. pastime. And everybody's guilty to some degree. There are not maybe everybody, but we've all contributed in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, and, and I understand that not everything that is said in a public forum can be positive necessarily, but I think complaining for the sake of complaining, speaking out because we have the opportunity to speak out, people have, have run wild with this and, and it, it's, uh, it's sad. I think everybody needs to chill <laughs> and just understand that not everybody's the same. People think about things differently. It doesn't make them the enemy. Uh, and, and I think certainly as it relates to keeping people safe at races, to kind of go back to that and, and finish that thought, the, the lady doesn't want to take your temperature. Don't, don't be mean. This isn't what she wants to do. They don't want to make you wear a mask. They don't want to make you do any of this stuff. But they're probably trying to keep their job because they're trying to feed their family, right? And, and just the same, they're just trying to live their life. And I think that if everybody just would, would take like a deep breath before they speak or before they say something mean or before they blast out the next mean tweet or mean Facebook post or whatever, the whole world would be in a lot better place. But what we can do here in drag racing is understand that these aren't rules that anybody wants to enforce, right? But everybody's trying to stay open. Everybody's trying to keep racing. Everybody's trying to keep people safe and, and stay out of trouble. No one wants to be the one that gets shut down or, or has their local, I, I've in various business endeavors over the years, I know what it's like to have someone like mad at you and kind of have it out for you. The last thing any of these track operators want to do is have their local uh, health department focused on them. You know, we don't want these track owners to spend their, their race season in court. We don't want them to see them throw in the towel um, or be completely consumed with legal fees as they defend their, their rights or whatever. I mean, it's, uh, it's a tough thing and I understand any arguments. I certainly do. All the arguments that, that are about, you know, our constitutional rights and our personal freedoms, I support. But we've got to calm down. And I, I just hope that as everybody heads into the 2021 race season, they exercise a little bit of restraint, um, understand that a lot of these nuances are uncomfortable for everybody involved, even the people enforcing them. Uh, this is likely something they've never done. Uh, a lot of times, you know, police officers and, and first responders, they get training, right? They're trained to deal with this type of stuff. They're trained, like police officers are trained on how to, to communicate with people in those fashions and how to stop things and how to enforce rules and how to have those conversations. You know, the lady working the gate at Orlando Speed World Drag, this is a bad example, um, Indianapolis Raceway Park, or, uh, Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis, uh, whenever I was getting my temperature taken every morning as I rolled into the U.S. Nationals last year, I mean, she don't, she's, she just got handed a temperature gun and said, you got to take all these people's temperature and tell them they got to wear a mask. They don't, they don't have any experience with that. They've never done that. Right. That stuff's not fun to do. Telling people what they have to do is not fun. I mean, they teach the people at Disney World that, that run the rides, you are taught how to effectively communicate and how to handle a little bit of pushback if someone doesn't want to take their sunglasses off on Thunder Mountain or whatever the hell, you know, ride I'm talking about. So I, I just think a little bit of understanding and I think a great way to keep everyone safe in 2021 and everything moving forward is to just exercise some restraint, um, take a deep breath or something before you decide to flip out at somebody for telling you to put your mask on or uh, asking you to, to put a little bit of space between yourselves. 
Um, and I tell you what, I think uh, drag racing, we're one step ahead of the game because we got brake clean. <laughs> I mean, most every drag racer I know hoses everything they own down with brake right. clean, including themselves, their hands. Um, so, hey, hopefully brake clean is, uh, is, is what we've, it's kind of the magic bullet we didn't know existed. Yep. Let's all wrap right. her up, buddy. Let's wrap her up. Well, hey, again, one more time, thank you guys all so much for watching this. Uh, two weeks in a row, back in action. We're, we're so happy to be here. We're so happy to be talking about the sport of drag race. I encourage you guys to continue to keep these conversations going. It, it's fun, man. Drag racing lacks this. It lacks the talking heads, the people that are saying what they think, the people that are sharing their opinions, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, it's such a great thing for the sport of drag racing. Please click like, click share, not selfishly, just to spread the message. Let's get people talking about drag racing. Let's let people know that, that this is a big, passionate industry with, with people that are doing stuff and big things happening. So do your part, we'll do ours, and I'll see you at the racetrack.